Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Jojo Rabbit and I am happy to be joined by two recurring guests, Fred Cobb. Fred, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I actually just looked at uh, our three most recent podcasts, which were Detective Pikachu, uh, Hobbs and Shaw, and The Goldfinch. So I'm very excited to finally join you for a movie I actually liked. <laughs> I, I didn't realize it had been that long since you'd uh, been on one that was good. But that just mm-hmm. shows how Fred contains multitudes. He can go from bottom of the uh, barrel Pikachu. Yeah. He can go from Pikachu movie to uh, World War II satire. And we're also joined by Adam Lichtenstein. Adam, how's it going? pretty good but i don't know if i can be on this podcast now that now that i know that fred doesn't like detective pikachu oh god i I mean he fred wasn't high on it but i actually i actually listened to that episode again randomly two weeks ago because um i i i we had been in uh i saw i saw fred when i was in jacksonville for the florida georgia game and like uh, i talked about with the, the friend that i was visiting with about how fred did my podcast and he's like oh which ones have you done together and detective pikachu is the most recent one he saw so i i literally listened to the detective pikachu podcast for like the third time if you include recording it editing it <laughs> and then listening it in the car like three months after we recorded it so i'm very familiar with that episode now and i actually thought it was one of our better episodes for a movie that neither of us had the strongest takes of but well, uh, i don't know i don't know how you can watch that movie and think anything other than it's a cinematic masterpiece oh man i don't i, I don't i think right. I, I think i might have known don't have a smile yeah 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 i think i think i might have known that adam was a pokemon fan of sorts i don't know so i don't know why i didn't end up getting you on that one but um i'm, I'm glad to have both of you guys back because i think this is the first time i've had the two of you on since we talked about a much different type of movie involving nazis last year operation finale which i mean that was an august movie that was just kind of getting us through the dregs of the movie year until we got to oscar season and now we're in the thick of oscar season with jojo rabbit which is the newest film from uh writer, director, actor Taika Waititi, who most people probably know from uh, Thor Ragnarok, which was when he first really, really had mainstream success, but he's been making movies out of New Zealand for a while before that, and some really funny ones at that between uh, What We Do in the Shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People, and prior to those two, he did Boy, which is also very critically acclaimed, and maybe not quite the comedy of those other two movies but you know i think he took a lot of the cachet he got from thor ragnarok and said in all the clout he got from doing that which was a very well received marvel movie that made a lot of money as all those movies do and said you know what? i'm gonna take all this clout and i'm gonna make a nazi satire and cast myself as adolf hitler which is what he does in jojo rabbit which is the, the story actually the centers on a 10 year old boy named johannes betzler who is a 10 year old living in nazi germany and he joins the Hitler youth so he can fit in and have a thing to do. And that's kind of what kids are, I guess, were expected to do in those times. And he uh, is kind of picked on by a lot of the kids there and, but still is very fanatically really loyal to uh, the Fuhrer. And so much so that he ends up turning the Fuhrer into an imaginary friend, which is, and played by, like I said, Teiko Waititi. And Again, this movie is a satire, and it is obviously very goofy when you have a character like Taika Waititi playing Adolf Hitler, and his JoJo's mom is played by Scarlett Johansson, and uh, yeah, he's uh, he's confronted with a little problem, though, and I, I, I guess this isn't really a spoiler because it's in the trailer, but I had, I really tried to learn as little bit about this as possible going in, so I almost would have rather just not known this because it would have been a cool surprise, but JoJo finds out that his mom is harboring a young Jewish girl in his house. And it kind of goes through him trying to uh, deal with wanting to have some allegiance and loyalty to Nazi Germany, but also kind of dealing with, hey, maybe Jews are people because kids in Germany at the time were kind of taught otherwise. And guys, I I don't know. This is I really like Taika Waititi. I really like this movie. But, you know, it's a weird conceit. So I guess I'll start with you, Fred. When you heard that Taika Waititi was making a World War II Holocaust satire – where was your head at with that? Like, what do you even, what, what were you expecting to get out of a movie like this? I didn't really follow uh, a lot of the lead up to when this movie came out. The first time I really actually heard what it was all about was when it played in Toronto, um, where it suddenly won the audience award. So I should have said very- that. And that's a big deal. Like I mentioned award stuff earlier and that the Toronto film festival audience award is like kind of a harbinger for Oscar success. So I'm not just talking out of my ass when I say it's probably going to get some Oscar nominations. Yeah, and a very uh, interesting pick, right? Um, and which is fascinating because Joker winning the award in Venice, Jojo Rabbit winning in Toronto. So a very eclectic sort of group of uh, movies that are likely going to be in contention at the Oscars. Tough subject matter, obviously, but I have seen Hunt for the Wilder People. And uh, Taika Waititi is somebody who is uh, very good at taking 
more serious subjects. Um, Hand for the Wilder People was about loneliness and moving on from um, the loss of a loved one and um, a kid and his uncle bonding. So that was a movie that was very funny, but also took a subject that had a lot of gravitas. Um, obviously, when you talk about Nazi Germany, that's a few steps ahead of that when it comes to balancing humor and a very serious topic. Um, but I had faith that he would um, do a good job with those two, and I wasn't disappointed. Um, very, very amusing movie, and also very good about uh, hitting um, a lot of uh, very poignant aspects um, that tend to be a little bit undercovered um, in movies about Nazi Germany. Um, primarily um, how being in a totalitarian regime um, affects children. And that's, I think, really the point he wanted to hammer home. And I think in that particular regard, um, Jojo Rabbit was a huge success. I don't know how many movies you've really had. I'm sure there are some that are not coming to mind that actually do somewhat depict the Holocaust from, like, a children's perspective. You know, there's, like, I guess The Boy in the Striped Pajamas and Life is Beautiful is one that has obviously gotten thrown around a lot. That's not a satire, so it has a very different tone to movies like this, but it's certainly a different way of approaching this subject matter. It feels fairly unique, even if, you know, World War II and Holocaust movies aren't uncommon. Uh, Adam, where did you ultimately come down on this movie, and what did you think was the biggest reason it worked for you? Because I know you enjoyed it, too, because I saw it with you. Yeah, I, well, I, I mean, I came into the movie not really knowing much about it. I also had heard about, you know, that it won an award, it won the award at uh, Toronto. I listened to it, I, you know, on um, The Ringers, The Big Picture. They were talking about it, and I was like, oh, a, pair, uh, a satire about the Holocaust? That seemed like something. Uh, but apparently, you know, I heard it was good. I figured I'd go see it. And I really, like I said, you really, like you said, I really liked it a lot. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. I thought the satire was good. Uh, and yeah, I just, I really, um, overall, I just really liked it. I thought it was, it's probably right now my favorite movie of the year. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I, I was very wary going in myself because, you know, I really liked Taika's movies and I liked some of the people involved. I should say the, the young girl that, the, that is being, uh, the young Jewish girl that is being harbored by Scarlett Johansson's character is played by Thomas and McKenzie, who was in a movie called Leave No Trace last year, which I know Fred's seen. I don't know if you've seen it, Adam. I think you'd really, no, I, I think you'd really dig it if you saw it. It's a movie about it. Yeah, that was in my top, was in my top 10 uh, last year when we did that podcast. Oh, okay. Very yeah, I, I do remember you having it up there now it's it's about a girl and her father played by uh uh ben, ben foster, foster. Who, who who basically like live off the land in rural oregon and uh kind of uh, in in modern times and have to deal with a lot of the challenges that come with that and she is really great in that movie and it was cool to see her play a different really a really different kind of role here and i so i knew i liked a lot of the people involved but at the same time it won that audience award at toronto which isn't any necessarily a harbinger for uh universal critical acclaim you know, a Green Book won it last year, and that had its own uh, dialogue going on around it. So I, I was like, "Huh, you know, I, this subject matter does seem up my seem seem up my alley." But you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm going to be with whatever this odd, cr- divisive, critical consensus is, and I'll fall on the wrong side of it. And I, you know, I I just really enjoyed it, and I think. Um, Again, like Fred said, this is like really delicate subject matter. So to then satirize it is just going to be really challenging, and it's a it's a dangerous tightrope to walk. And I and I think it it takes a high degree of execution to really get it right. But I I don't know. I, I nothing. It, it just really worked for me on the whole. And I I guess I think part of it might be you know. I guess you you run the risk of maybe not taking the Holocaust as seriously is what a lot of people might say when talking about this movie. And I, I to me it's like you know. I'm there to laugh at some stupid Nazis, and I think that I, – I think the movie can trust its audience enough to just get that, like, yeah, these people are bad, and we can make fun of them, and you're not going to be seeing the worst of the worst of the Holocaust if you're telling it from the perspective of a 10-year-old boy who's not out there on the front lines or actually working at a concentration camp, and then you can kind of tell the story around the margins of what's going on, and I think I I just really enjoyed that. Uh, Fred, how do you think it did it, it – like – do you think it, it, there's, there, there was any room that the, for the improvement for the movie in, in regards to maybe uh, showing you just the dark side of this experience? Or do you think it just works as a satire by, you know, focusing on these people on the fringes of the Third Reich? Yeah, that's kind of the interesting thing about a lot of the reviews that I've read that we've been saying it ourselves, that it's meant to be a satire of the Holocaust. And I didn't really see it that way. I saw it more as a satire of... Uh, Nazi propaganda and some of the um, education that they tried to instill in young German boys and young German girls um, to basically ensure 
the, the future of the thousand-year German Reich, which was the dream. And to make sure that you have that, you need to make sure that your kids are indoctrinated with uh, some of the most racist and vir virulent beliefs that they had. And I think the movie does a very good job depicting that. And when you're a 10-year-old kid and they repeatedly tell you, oh, Jews are worthless, they're not actually human, um, they sleep like bats hanging from the ceiling, that's the kind of stuff a kid like that is going to internalize. And if you have all of your friends around you who believe the same kind of stuff, then of course you don't want to be the outsider who says something else, especially because it was very dangerous to hold different beliefs. And a lot of parents would tell their kids, uh, this is the kind of stuff that you have to say in public, otherwise our family is going to get into a lot of trouble. Um, and when you really look at Nazi propaganda from a very sort of, uh, when you look at it without the context, of course, of all of the terrible stuff that occurred because of that propaganda, it is kind of absurd, right? Like the stuff that they were saying, it's difficult that, to imagine that anybody believed it. But of course, kids are very susceptible to that sort of stuff. And I think Jojo Rabbit was incredibly good about telling us why it worked so well. And I think some of the funnier moments of the movie that I know Adam and I laughed at because, again, I was sitting next to Adam, but also like... I, I, you might have found funny too were like almost more offhand stuff like so I, I laughed at some of the very absurd stuff where they're like uh, oh what job can Jojo do to help us out today like, oh he can go walk the clones like something like ridiculous yeah. like that like I laughed at a ton but I think some of the humor that worked almost for me just as well were like throwaway lines that did get at how some of that propaganda did become ingrained where someone makes some kind of comment about Jews being able to read minds and someone's like oh yeah like naturally and, yeah, and then well, it, 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 like like Rebel, Rebel Wilson saying about how um, a Jew hypnotized how like her grandfather or her uncle and it made him a drunk and divorce his wife and <laughs> you know do all kinds of crazy stuff and I'm, I was just like laughing hysterically. When I got a good laugh out of was uh, when the head of the Gestapo said, "You know, we get phone calls all the time of communists hiding behind bridges, and then it turns out to be mold." I mean, same difference, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so like... yeah. So so some of those lines um, really landed very well and. Um, not just with me, with the entire audience, actually. Yeah, yeah and I guess your mileage is going to vary with a movie like this. And I, I, there's a reason I, I maybe talk less or for I, my podcasts aren't as long or I just don't do them on straight comedies because it's it's something that's hard to talk about. You can like trying to talk about why you found something funny as opposed to just saying I found it funny. It's like a it's a hard distinction to make, and I don't think it's, it makes for as interesting of discussion. Obviously, this movie has greater ambitions and has a lot more going on, and it's not just your average run of the mill comedy. So I think there's plenty to discuss with it. But you know, I I, I think a lot of the people that maybe were frustrated by the more maybe the movie's execution of some of the more serious elements might have just been a little more put off because they didn't as thoroughly enjoy the rest of the movie as I did because if you're if you if you don't find these jokes funny then you, you know you're going to be like oh well why didn't the movie do all this other stuff better it focused too much on being funny when it probably could have like actually set up some of its more serious stuff better and my thinking is like you know if this is going to be like a really serious movie that really uh gets at all of like the darkest and worst parts of the holocaust it's not going to be the funny movie I had such a fun time at. I, I don't know if you can. I don't know if there's a way to have it both ways in a, and have it be as funny as this movie was, while you know still depicting the worst parts of the Holocaust more so than this movie does. I I, I just found it kind of struck that balance well. Uh, I, I I don't know if you have thoughts on that specifically, Adam. But I guess my thing is like I, this movie is just like it's like so funny, and I I, I, don't, I don't think there's like any comedic aspects of it I would want to strip away. Yeah, I really think if there's any group of people you can satirize and people already know, hey, they're actually in like reality, they were really, really, really bad. If there's any group you can do that with, it's probably the Nazis. Um, I feel like most people should know that they did really horrible things, so that they don't have to be bludgeoned over the head with it in every single moment of a movie that happens to be about Nazis. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, people, people know that they're a really evil group of people. Um, and I think it were, I think you, that was still in the movie, even if we're mostly spending the movie laughing at them. Like the scene, uh, where the Gestapo comes to Jojo's house was very tense and they didn't have to build that up with, you know, all these stories about how evil Nazis are. You just know the Gestapo's really bad. They'll do really bad things. I think we all kind of knew that already. Well, I'm glad you went there with that because I was going to talk to you guys about that scene. Cause I, I don't know. I, I feel like one of the people that it, it might've been another podcast actually that I listened to, they pointed to that as an example of what the movie should have been more of and how that's like, 
that Stephen, the scene with Stephen Merchant, like he is, he's, he has a few funny lines, but he is really scary for a guy that's really just like a big, tall, goofy comedic actor generally like he is kind of, he, that scene is tense and he plays the right notes right the notes in the right way where you are kind of afraid for them because of uh how serious this guy seems even if he like starts making some jokes when he reads the what's that book called the book he writes called it's called you who jew you you jew or something like that like and i get it like that's a different type of scene than the other scenes involving nazis in the movie but at the same time I, I, I think I might just be more on edge if the whole movie's like that. You know, I don't need a whole movie of that, but I think it's a, it's like they're dropping a nice reminder in there about how, like, yeah, this isn't all fun and games, and we're going to show you that. And with, at the same time, like, you're still going to be able to laugh at a Nazi within the, within the course of this scene that's also like really suspenseful. What did you think of their execution of a scene like that, Fred, versus just some of the stuff you see when they're at the Hitler Youth Academy? Yeah, so that scene in particular, I thought, was really well done, because even though you're right, it was incredibly tense. But at the same time, it was also very much about the ridiculous rituals that Nazi Germany practiced, um, just because it was so deeply ingrained. Like, whenever whenever somebody says, Heil Hitler, the entire group <laughs> has to do it over and over again, like every single one of them. So before you know it, you have said it like 20, 30 times. And um that, I think, was really the strength of that scene, because you're right, it was a great performance, and um, he actually reminded me a little bit of uh, that character in Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, that Nazi that comes to um, Marion Ravenwood's uh, bar, and he asks for the medallion, kind of with, also with the glasses and kind of the like really sort of um, oily, very intimidating voice. Mm. Um, so that's a very interesting um, performance in that particular scene, because... I do think that they wanted to make clear that, again, this wasn't all laughs. And Adam said it very well when the Gestapo showed up. Um, that was a moment where you really had to be 100% um, focused to make sure that you don't slip up. And um, I think that that was a particularly uh, good contrast uh, to some of the um, earlier scenes where you almost get the sense that this movie tries to do a little bit too much Moonrise Kingdom stuff. We're in the youth camp, and it's all a bit too funny. Um, and that is also around the time when you see imaginary Hitler less. Because imaginary Hitler, to me, sometimes just got a little bit too silly. But this was around the time where he didn't appear as much, and things became a little bit more serious. And I think that was a good point uh, for the movie to go in that direction. Yeah, the movie's smart enough to have uh, imaginary Hitler take a seat for the scene where the Gestapo are uh, talking to Elsa, and or when she pops out to try and uh, trick the Nazis. And I think it it works for that, even if I really did get a kick out of the imaginary Hitler stuff. But I, I, I want to point out that I really did appreciate the point that Adam made, because I think I was trying to make it earlier and just didn't do it as well, where he's mentioning that the Nazis are a group of people that we don't really need to be reminded that they're bad. Like, I think it's pretty universal where, you know, other movies might do things like satirize, you know, I don't know, uh, just for example, like the 1% or someone like that. If it's a movie like about class or something like that, that, that might, I think those, it's a, that's even a harder thing for those movies to pull off because, you know, while it might not be as offensive to, uh, portray them in a good light as it might be the Nazis to some people. At the same time, you, it's a lot easier to run the risk of show, seeming like you're glamorizing it or you don't get that they're bad people if you're just like showing rich people doing uh, arguably bad things. And here it's like I, anyone kind of knows that like Taika Waititi he is not uh, anti-Semite and he has no illusions that these are bad people. And or he's actually, these are he's actually part Jew. He's actually part Jewish. Yeah, he's half Jewish, which I didn't know till like even after I already knew that he was making this movie. Yeah, and I and I think it's just like we just we just know they're bad people, and I don't really need you to like go overboard to tell me that. And I'm fine with just uh, having them do all of their Nazi things like very seriously, but also so much so that like we can just laugh at how ridiculous it is and i and i, I think that's just like a a, a fun tightrope to walk but um i want to ask about the and and i th i think there's a there's an there's an event that if we're talking about darker parts of this movie there is a certain event that i think is a bit of a turning point that I, I, as crazy as it sounds i guess i'll put in a spoiler section even though this movie is about world war 2 because you know it's about these fictional characters and we can do that but i do want to ask a little bit about just the idea of uh this device of having uh, Jojo uh, maybe come to question his own belief system thanks to a young girl uh, being hidden by his family, who we've already mentioned is played by uh, Thomas and McKenzie. I, I thought it was interesting because, you know, I 
I thought Elsa was just a very interesting character, and I, I wasn't really sure what to make of her for a lot of the movie, but because she just like comes out like so confident. Uh, I mean, I guess she's having to hide, obviously, but it does seem very at home and very confident, just kind of screwing with JoJo. But I, I still enjoyed watching their relationship develop, even if I was a little confused of uh, what to make of her at first, and I. I guess it was a cool device to use to just uh, force a, someone with that Nazi belief system to just kind of look inward a little bit. And probably he talks out. He and I actually did. I should say the actor that plays Jojo. His name is um, uh, Roman Griffin Davis. And for a young guy, he I thought he actually had pretty funny comic timing when he's just kind of delivering some of the angry anti-Semitic lines before he really is uh, kind of coming to terms with his own ridiculousness. I I, I did kind of enjoy the rapport, and I thought you know. As much as this movie is a satire, I do think there's room for it to be like both satirical and sweet. And I, I, and I guess that's where maybe some of the disconnect is with me, and, with me and some of the other critics. But I don't know. I just thought it struck that balance well, largely thanks to those two actors doing a really good job. Fred, what did you think of them? Oh yeah, I absolutely agree. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier about um, how kids that age feel the need to fit in with their friend group. And um, JoJo's friend group at that point has pretty much shunned him because um, there's that scene early where he's unwilling to kill the rabbit mm-hmm. and they laugh at him, they make fun of him, they think he's a coward. Um, his, only friend is miniature, and- his only friend is miniature Nick Frost, which is what I call that other one. <laughs> <laughs> Yorkie. Yorkie was a sergeant by the time the war ended. Yeah. Played by Yar- Archie Yates. Very funny and is literally oh, yeah. just going to be going to be Nick Frost in 25 years. And oh, yeah, that, guy, that guy was a scene stealer. Very yeah. impressive uh, stuff. I mean, you say, Jojo I'm, I'm, had, you say Jojo had great comic timing. I mean, that kid was amazing. Yeah. I'm an 11-year-old soldier. <laughs> but very good showcase for Thomas and Mackenzie as well because I think she really grounds the movie in that seriousness that we talked about when the movie needed to be more serious um although i will say that I, I i agree with what you were saying that i didn't really get a good sense of who she was before the war started um i didn't really get a good understanding of who her family was and maybe that's just stuff i missed or don't remember because it's been a couple of days since i've seen the movie uh but now that i think about it um she's a character who does cope very well with the situation and um, obviously, she's been able to survive this long. But yeah, but I do wonder how she ultimately ended up in that situation because she talks about her boyfriend, or I guess her fiancé. Um, but I don't really remember her talking about her parents all that much. She doesn't talk about her parents aside from the fact that, you know, they basically got, she basically ran away when they were about to be put on the train to whatever uh, ghetto or concentration camp they were going to be sent to. And you don't really hear much else about them and i get it like you don't have you don't necessarily need to have like a flashback where you see what her life was like before and then see them getting uh first taken out of their house by the nazis like i don't know if you need all that but i think that maybe you could have given us a little more context for who she was before and versus what this turned her into because i think you do kind of you do maybe see her in some more solemn moments particularly maybe when she's just uh sitting in the um, in the hideout, talking to Jojo's mom, and I, who's, we should say that character's name is Rosie, again, played by Scarlett Johansson, and you do see her maybe in some more somber moments like that, but at the same time, she seems, like, pretty well adjusted for someone that has presumably gone through a, quite a bit of shit, so, again, let me ask a quick, uh, Sorry, let me ask a quick follow-up yeah. question, since you mentioned Rosie. How did uh, Elsa end up at the house, actually? I think I think I think um, Elsa mentioned at one point that after she got away from, um, you know, the, wherever the deportation of her parents, that she kind of got passed around for, like among like uh, like friends and friends of friends and, you know, people who were sympathetic. Mm-hmm. And I guess she just ended up at uh, with Rosie and, and Jojo. I think it's like a, it's like a one throwaway line, mm-hmm. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's basically when she's uh, when she's t- I think she's talking to Jojo about it at some point, And she definitely first went to hide out with family friends who then even passed her off to friends of friends. And she had been friends with Jojo's older sister who had, I think who passed away. And I didn't know. So I, I didn't even remember seeing it in the movie. And I just read on Wikipedia that her, that his uh, sister had died from the flu. We know she died uh-huh. from something. And so, but the, Elsa had been friends with Jojo's sister and, uh, and just ended up like at some point turning to Rosie and I guess Rosie luckily Rosie was willing to help and I so I don't know I, I, I definitely like even if I think that maybe the movie could have given her this character just a little more context for who she was as a person it's still like a really good uh, performance and I did enjoy uh, seeing her interact with Jojo uh, Adam did you like their dynamic as well yeah I really did I mean like there could have could there have been more to her you know her backstory or more context sure 
but I just really enjoyed it. You know, every scene where, you know, she's there with JoJo is really, it's a really electric scene and a really fun scene. Well, not, they're not all fun. I shouldn't say that, but they're just all really good scenes. Yeah. I, I, I want, and I want to, and I want to ask you guys too, just about, uh, Scarlett Johansson's performance. Cause I think it's like, it's actually like really interesting and I think almost mysterious in a way. Like, you talk about, uh, bless you. You talk about not getting to necessarily, uh, know some of these characters as people. And I, I don't know if you like fully get the entire story of who she is. Cause it kind of, uh, you obviously know she's sympathetic to the Jewish cause if she is, uh, hiding one in her home, but at the same time they they drop hints throughout the movie, movie of her being involved in larger resistance activities. And at the same time, she's, uh, also being a very loving mother to Jojo and uh, seems to keep a fairly positive perspective on things. And for some, oddly seems kind of sad that her son uh, has become such a radical, but at the same time is able to compartmentalize it and uh, keep a rather overall good attitude towards him and still be very loving towards him. And I, I don't know. It's, it's funny because, you know, uh, Scarlett Johansson will, she's about to be in marriage story, which is uh, which is more likely to get an Oscar nomination for than this movie, even if this movie is going to get a lot of Oscar love. But uh, she's obviously spent a large part of the last several years is doing these Marvel movies. And even if she's had sprinkled in other performances where she can arguably, she's argu- arguably several where she's been worthy of like Oscar love and never gotten it. And I, I, so I, I was just going into this movie thinking like, well, you know, people have been talking about her being like a possibly a double Oscar nominee before she started opening her mouth and saying a bunch of stupid stuff. And Again, that's probably not going to stop her from getting nominated for Marriage Story. Maybe for this one. And I, so I guess I kind of lowered my expectations uh, just for what to expect from that character coming into this movie because I thought, yeah, you know, like it seems like people just kind of – once they decided they didn't really want to like shower her totally with love, they kind of just said, okay, maybe you'll get a Best Actress nomination but not a Best Supporting one. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not going to expect much from this role. And I just thought it was like a very interesting – layered character and she had to do like a lot of different things uh in like a what is a more limited role in terms of screen time than maybe at least two or three other characters in the movie uh fred what did you think of just uh the character of rosie and uh all the different beats that scarlett johansson is asked to play throughout the movie because I, I don't know i just thought it was very interesting and uh just a performance that really contained multitudes to me yeah and it's a fascinating character too because when you're a parent in Nazi Germany, that's part of the resistance, and you have a kid that is so ingrained uh, into the Nazi ideology, you have to walk a very fine line because on one hand, of course, you want to teach uh, that kid your ethical code, right? That what the Nazis are doing is completely wrong, and you hope that that kid grows up to be a good person. You can't be too vocal about that. You can't be too vocal because uh, otherwise that kid is going to talk about it to his friends. They're going to talk... uh, to their parents, and then the Gestapo is going to show up on your doorstep. Um, there was actually an interesting scene in The Lives of Others, um, which I saw a few weeks ago, where it's kind of along those lines where a kid is in the elevator with a Stasi agent, and the kid goes, oh, so you're an agent in the Stasi? My dad says all agents in the Stasi are horrible people. <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff that you really have to be careful about. Um, and Scarlett Johansson is incredibly good at finding that fine balance between still recognizing that our kid went through a lot already. The father isn't home, so that father figure has been absent in his life. Um, But at the same time, I mean, she still tries very hard to make sure that the kid doesn't really succumb too much to this ideological spirit that he's been indoctrinated with. So I I think it's just a very good effort and I think a really good chance for her to move away from both the stereotype of her end up role in the Marvel movies and stuff like Ghost in the Shell. Uh, where she really isn't acting much but just doing an action performance, and she really is a lot better than that. Yeah, we've seen, and we've also seen that stuff from her before. But I, and I, I guess, I guess I agree. And that was a point I was wanting to make earlier before we specifically talked about her. But you know, uh, I think some. I don't know. I think I think some people, and I and I want to talk a little bit about the the Sam Rockwell character too. Before we uh, actually, I'll probably save that a little bit more for the spoiler section. But you know, I think some people are like, you know. Is is when we talked about is this movie you know um, what, what's the word I'm looking for I know is it putting too light of a touch on the serious subject matter and I I, I don't know I I just think it's it's kind of an interesting unexplored area of uh, Nazi Germany or just the World War Two or Holocaust movies in film to begin with to you know just tackle what it's like to be a person that's not a Jew or not a Nazi you know I I, I don't I I feel like that's not something that we see a lot of in 
movies that in pop culture that depicts this time and place. It's just and just to see how someone might operate in that space it was. I, it was just really interesting to me. I, I, Adam, was there was there a part of just that that character's story that resonated with you? Yeah, I just <clears throat> I really I mean I really liked her in this role. Uh, I really don't have any complaints about this movie in general, so I'm going to say I liked everything about <laughs> it. But um, no, I just I liked I liked her performance. I liked you know how she was able to walk that line of trying to make her kid a good person, but also not trying to like shock his senses because this is a kid. He's ten years old. It's 1945. He, you know when he was born, Hitler was already in power for two years. So all he's known is the indoctrination he's gotten. So she's trying to you know kind of carve at the edges and make him a good person who will eventually you know come to realize this stuff is ridiculous but also like let him be you know mr junior nazi um because one it's probably a better cover for her if her son looks super indoctrinated and two she like like you guys were talking about earlier you know you don't want him to you know be in a room with you know an ss agent and all of a sudden he's like oh yeah Nazis, Nazis suck. Like <laughs> my mom tells me, Nazis, Nazis are terrible. We have a Jew in our in our house. Like you don't want that. So and it might I also really, be the only way for him to make friends too. And she might just want him to have friends. Yeah, exactly. She wants him to fit in. She wants him to. She she goes to like the 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 office where Sam Rockwell works and is like, here, give him things to do, like to ostensibly help the German cause. Uh, so like, it just, I thought she, you know, as a performance, she did really well, and as a character, she was a very interesting character. Yeah, I, I agree, guys. I I, I want to. I, I I think I kind of want to actually uh, transition into a spoilery section of the podcast because I, like I said, there's some stuff about the Sam Rockwell character that I just form, feel more comfortable talking about over there as well. But I, before we do that, I guess it's clear to everyone that's listened to this point that we we would all recommend this movie. So I'll I'll, I'll just say you know I don't I don't know anyone that would have been listening to this point that wouldn't have already just decided to give this movie a shot. But uh, if for whatever reason you're just uh, not really sure what to expect and you're have any unease about checking the movie out i would just say you know uh it, it's like really funny and i think it also has a a pretty good message in it and it just bounce in, in my opinion it balances those things well you're, you're probably going to see a lot of reviews out there that might say that might just have a contrary opinion on that but you know i i just think it does a good job of like spoofing what it wants to spoof and satirizing what it wants to satirize while at the same time uh uh, having some pretty heartfelt moments too, and I, I think that's an impress- a pretty impressive thing to accomplish. Uh, Fred, is there anything you want to tell the people that haven't seen it yet, or before we sign off, just anything else about this movie that you really appreciated before? Uh, that's in a non-spoilerly fashion. Uh, yeah, I just want to encourage people to see it as quickly as possible. Uh, now that a lot of these uh, movies are coming into theaters that are likely going to collect Oscar nominations, um, it's very likely they'll all have pretty short runs and then get replaced with something else. Um, so definitely make sure to see this one because as George was saying, it's doing pretty good business though. I think from what I understand, at least the box office. So hopefully it hangs around a little longer. It is. Yeah. And and I really hope it does. Um, but again, as we were saying, um, definitely don't let, uh, don't, don't be discouraged by thinking that, uh, the movie doesn't take the subject seriously. It really does. It has a lot of very, uh, important things to say. Uh, about Nazi Germany, and uh, it's definitely worth giving it a shot, I think. Yeah, one other thing I'll, I'll say, though, is that, uh, and I think one of you mentioned Moonrise Kingdom, uh, and I think that's is some some people have derisively referred to it as like, oh, it's Wes Anderson, but the kids are Nazis or something like that. And, yeah, no. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't think that's totally fair, but I'm, I don't know if I'm the best person to, like, really break down that uh, that statement because I'm just not someone that connects with Wes Anderson films on the same level that a lot of people do. He's not someone that like, there's not a Wes Anderson film that I completely dislike, but there's also not one that I'm, I'm totally in love with. You know, like I, I, I liked, I, I liked them, most of them to varying degrees, but I'm not like head over heels for any of them. I think Moonrise Kingdom is one of the ones I like better, but you know, one of the things I don't like about his movies is that like, I just think that they have too, too wispy of a tone and they're too, they're, they're, they're it's almost like too, too light of a touch and it just kind of, uh, drifts in like this uh very very uh playful tone from one thing to another and in a way that like makes it hard for me to ever feel like any serious emotion whenever anything serious happens in it and some serious stuff happens in this movie while at the same time it might have some stretches where it might feel like a wes anderson movie i just think that it's it's emotions hit harder at other points and i think if you want to watch a movie that allows you to laugh at subject matter like this while also you know maybe being moved at the same time i think that's a that's that's about the strongest recommendation
recommendation I can give it. And I just wanted to point that out there in case you are scared by the Wes Anderson comment. But if you like Wes Anderson stuff, there's going to be plenty for you to like as well. Um, but yeah, I, w- I want to jump off into spoiler set territory. So anyone that like was just signing on to get our general thoughts on it without getting spoiled by some of the more bigger twists that you wouldn't have already known uh, from watching a trailer, I would say go back, go away now, come back later and uh finish the rest of the podcast but uh i'll give you guys uh one two three four five more seconds and i want to give a bit of a buffer there because i actually had like a a tv show spoiled for me recently when i was in in the car and i was listening to a podcast that was talking about a tv show and they did give a spoiler disclaimer but before like i actually had a chance to like you know press pause then all of a sudden they just gave away like the biggest (laughs) thing and which is like fair like i mean i I, I, I might have even like actually been on my podcast list and then just like pressed had already been started listening to something else and then accidentally pressed the button back to the thing that had gone to the spoiler section because I wanted to save it for later and then I just it just happened so I like I just wanted to make sure I was being cognizant of that I'm not put, I don't I feel like dropping in one of the sound effects so I want to give everyone a little time to go away but hopefully they're all gone now so guys I've been talking around it a little bit but you know uh, again as we all said we laughed a lot at this movie and we definitely had a fun time. Uh, but it does have like a very uh, distinct point where it's like, oh shit, we're not in the fun part anymore. When all of a sudden uh, we see that Rosie has been executed by the Nazis and or hanged, but uh, however you want to put it. And uh, again, I re- I think we're all led to really into like her as a character, so it's a very jarring moment. And despite their philosophical differences for large parts of this movie, JoJo obviously really cares about his mother, uh, and it was like really almost devastating the way they shot it which I thought was especially devastating where you just know it by looking at the shoes. Cause they've just watched her uh, literally like, uh, float through this movie almost. And just the way she dances around and is really light on her feet and just seems to have a really happy disposition, despite obviously living through a tough time, having a husband and a daughter that she's basically lost. And, the the movie made it a point to like almost look at her to to show you her feet and to show how how lightly she moved around and how full of life she was and all of a sudden uh she's dead uh fred how do you think the movie uh made that pivot i know we've talked about it it seems like we're all in agreement this movie did tonally do a pretty effective job of shifting when it needed to but that is a pretty devastating moment so what did you think of the movie's execution of just all of a sudden dropping something like that in there was it predictable did it catch you off guard Uh, how moved were you what did you just think of how taika waititi all of a sudden turns this movie into something else really for a long stretch so it did catch me off guard but i also think that's why it was important for it to happen at that particular moment uh because i think you're almost inclined to uh I don't want to say take the subject matter too lightly at that point, but you're kind of getting the sense that he's sort of beating around the bush because it's been very funny up until that point. That's a good way to put it, I think. Yeah, and you've kind of avoided the very sort of serious elephant in the room that we are still in Nazi Germany. And I think the really tragic thing about her death is that you're approaching the end of the war at this point. Um, Germany is very clearly lost. Um, so her death would always Whoa, have spoiler, been. spoiler, spoiler, Germany lost. <laughs> we are in the spoiler section. point of waiting for that. Yeah, yeah. True. Uh, but yeah, what I was going to say is, um, at that particular point, it feels especially pointless because there were some people who sort of, um, decided, well, the war is lost now. Um, now we can sort of stop, um, going really hard against people like that. And there were some people who still, until the very last day, um, shot people who were against Nazi Germany, people who tried to flee, people who tried to uh, make amends um, and suggested uh, maybe we should actually have conversations with the Allies. So it really hits your heart, because if she had just hung on for a little bit longer, she might have actually seen the end of the war and been able to um, take care of her son. And it's just really unfortunate at that particular moment that that is not going to happen so a lot of people obviously lost family in the war so this was a very jarring reminder of that yeah uh, adam how uh, how did that moment hit you because i mean i think we talked broadly about the movie and if we liked it after the after we saw it last night but i i don't think we talked about that moment in particular what, what did you feel as you were watching that yeah well i agree with everything fred just said i mean it was just a real gut punch because it had been up to that point pretty lighthearted, um you know and you and you also know the end of the war is coming to an end pretty soon. Um, I think. I mean, in the span of the movie, I think it was probably what like she missed the end of the war by like two days. Yeah, um, and they and they even mentioned throughout the movie, as a lot of movies about the World War II do when they're taking place in that part, like you they could kind of tell how it was going. 
So yeah, like it was, it was not going well for Germany. Um, but yeah, just a real gut punch. Um, and but I also just think it was, it was, it was a good reminder that you know, in this war, you know, somewhere between fifty and a hundred million people died. People died all like, all the time, and it happened. It wasn't like um, people died almost uneventfully. It just happened because a lot of people were dying in this war. So you just, you know, you're Jojo's following this butterfly that's flying around, and he looks up, and oh, there's his mother, you know, hanging in the middle of the of the you know town square. It's just something that happened in this war. So I just think, yeah, it's just a really, you know, a really a, a gut punch is really the, and the word I keep using for it. Just a really moving kind of scene, and. It's just in that, yeah, like you said, it really, the movie really turns a corner then because you basically go right from there to the Gestapo scene, and it's just like, it's just the movie just hits you like, oh, right, like this is, there are stakes here. It's not just a lighthearted comedy about a kid in, you know, in Germany. Did that, did that scene with the Gestapo in the house, that that, that, that was after the. Yeah, Sam, yeah, Sam Rockwell comes right. Was it actually? Was it right so after the Gestapo scene was right before, before, actually, because the mother is before. The mother is home. Right, you're right, right, right. right, right. Yes, and they start asking still, about her. At the, right, yeah, yeah. Still, one-two punch kind of thing where it's but like, yeah, okay, sure. we're we're playing with fire here. Like, bad things can happen. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I think I would still enjoy it as a movie, even if it hadn't gone there. But I think if you can go to a place like that and uh, make it work, I think it obviously uh, just uh, gives the movie a lot more weight and a lot, and it feels just a lot more substantial than if we had just stayed on the fun satirical stuff the entire time. And I, I, you know, people have debated whether or not it's accurate to call it a biting satire, but I don't, I don't really know exactly how much harder to satirize this stuff in like, yeah, who knows? Maybe there's a way to do a satire that takes place inside of a concentration camp, but I just, I I, I don't, I don't know. I, I just don't know what that looks like. So I don't know what people are looking for if they want a harder satire or anything like that i think it satirizes the parts of uh nazi germany that are right right for right for that kind of satire and i think it's fine that it went to a place like this and it was fitting it almost seems like yeah there it, it, it kind of makes sense that there's going to be some kind of consequence if you're if you do tell a story where you're following like a a family like this and you're in this world for this long it would be kind of it would almost be way too noticeable to not have something bad to happen to uh a character that's standing up for all that's good. Yeah, I think what's also worth noting is um, the scale of the war and the mass killings that occurred are incomprehensible. So I think it's very important that the movie, which is essentially being told from the perspective of one boy, that he gets to experience that kind of loss on a very personal level, because what could be more tragic than a young boy losing his mother that he loved so dearly? So like, it's a particular scene, I think, of just the devastating loss he really feels for the first time. Because up until that point, he never really appreciated what horrors the Nazis were inflicting all over the world. Um, And this was really his moment of awakening where he realizes just the terrible things that the people have done that he's been idolizing for so long. It's a pretty important moment because if it was simply just, uh, yeah, he realizes, you know, Jews are good and I'm going to totally change my ideology only by talking to this one girl. It, I don't know. It, 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 would, it wouldn't have really necessarily felt like enough. or it would, it, I, it, I don't know if it's, this would have put the movie on the scale uh, on, that it really needed to be on given all the history that goes into World War II and the Holocaust. And we're talking a lot about you know just how it balances that uh, satirical, fun aspect of the movie and some of the serious stuff. And I think you know one – character in this movie that we that, that i think kind of epitomizes both sides of that movie is uh sam rockwell's captain uh klesendorf i think is how it looks like it's pronounced and i think that character has been a, a source of some criticism as well because and, and i think there it's it's a little i mean it's it's a it's a pretty loaded casting choice by putting sam rockwell in there to begin with because he just two years ago he played a uh, a racist character in Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri and got nominated for an Oscar and that was a character that was just like the most controversial aspect of that film because it almost wants to redeem the racist and tries to make it seem like oh yeah but he wasn't that bad of a guy all along and your mileage may vary on just how awful George Bush was but you know some might say then he got another nomination for playing a racist another year and now this year for the third straight year he is also playing a Nazi he's now playing a Nazi who 
you know, we find not out to mention that he not to mention that he played the leader of the local chapter of the KKK in the Best of Enemies. <laughs> right. I, I I skipped that one, but I, that, <laughs> I, I, I it's it's a weird trend for a guy that's a very yeah. talented actor. Who I mean, I I want to see do good things, and he's had a lot of good performances prior to this stretch he's been on. But the most successful stretch of his career now is all spent playing like pretty bad people. And here, though, know, he plays a Nazi that you know might not be so bad. Uh, he's, but he's just like a total doofus in the first half. And I guess some of the people are like, you know, like by having him play such a doofus Nazi, it's almost you're you're almost losing the fact that like these were bad people because you see like the terrible teen Nazis uh, that are trying to pick on JoJo and stuff, but you're not really seeing that many bad Nazis, especially since Hitler is played as a doofus. And aside from like you know the the Stephen Merchant scene, so it's like here is like the other adult male Nazi that plays a pivotal role in the movie, who's who's just there as like a harmless fool, and all of a sudden just turns out to be a good guy that wants to spare Elsa's life at the end, and then sp- help JoJo escape too. What did you think about having a figure like that in the movie, but not having a while at the same time not just having a a Nazi present that is just like pure evil? Is that I mean I guess Hitler's pure evil, but they he's not played that way. He's played more for laughs, like. Do you guys think the movie, I don't know, should have tried to play that character a little differently or had another worse character Nazi there to balance him out? I, I, I don't know. It's, you know, because, like, I think it's interesting to think about, like, what it might have been like to be that guy. And maybe that guy just never was really that down for the cause to begin with. So and just wanted to have friends and or wanted to receive some respect. But maybe he was never all that in because every time Jojo mentions Jews, he just doesn't really have that much interest, as do a lot of the people. They're just like not even that concerned with Jews. But, you know, this is the character they choose to focus on. So, I, we're, like, we're all saying, like, we don't need to be told that Nazis are bad and Nazis don't like Jews. That's apparent. But they really do choose to focus on this character that is, if you didn't know any better, just wouldn't really seem to have any anti-Semitic tendencies at all. Yeah, I, I read actually a theory on, on Reddit um, that posited that maybe Sam Rockwell's character was actually, like, kind of an ally, ally supporter. Like, you know, the reason why he was demoted after, you know— He's like, um, I got demoted because um, I led my men into a mission that went wrong in a totally predictable fashion and stuff. And he keeps getting demoted. And it's like maybe he's doing this on purpose. And then, you know, there's a scene with the Gestapo where, you know, Elsa misremembers um, Jojo's sister's birthday, who she's impersonating. And Sam Rockwell's like, you nailed it. Like, congratulations. You're actually who you say you are. Um, And, you know, lying to the Gestapo to protect this Jewish girl. Um, So it's like, oh, maybe he's actually – maybe more on the allied side. And also, I don't know how I'd say it's a reveal, but the implication that maybe him and Alfie Allen are a gay couple at the end, not just during the end, but that, you know, that implication that maybe he's also, you know, he's in the Nazi, he's in, he's in the, you know, the German army because that's what's expected of him. But maybe he's not, you know, all that would, what he would seem to be. I actually got a very similar read on that, uh, his relationship with uh, Alfie Allen as well, because if, the movie actually suggests um, that he is gay, then that means he is also part of a group that was very aggressively prosecuted by the Nazis. So I think when you look at a character like that, everybody sort of tried to fit in, but he never would have obviously felt comfortable with a cause, with a cause like that. And the other thing is that I find very strange because a lot of people are, in fact, complaining about the developments at the end where he decides uh, to save Jojo. Um, it's really not that uncommon to see characters like that in movies about Nazi Germany, especially uh, when the war is almost over. People who never really believed in the ideology that strongly to begin with and just kind of went along with it to survive uh, are suddenly saying, you know what, screw this. Um, we clearly were uh, supporting a losing cause here. Um, that was something in The Pianist, uh, where there was a character who uh, started helping out Vladislav Spearman. Um, that was also a thing in Downfall, where you had a lot of people uh, who were actually around Hitler who were saying, no, we're not going to carry out his orders anymore because we're not going to send people to their deaths uh, when the war is pretty much lost. So I do think that a character like that isn't really um, all that unusual. Uh, and I think the movie did enough uh, until that point to suggest that Sam Rockwell wouldn't fully buy into uh, the Nazi cause um, to reveal that Elsa got the birthday wrong. I guess, I guess, I guess my thing was I um, I definitely agreed. I, I, I guess it, nothing about it, the Sam Rockwell character really rubbed me the wrong way that strongly because I had it in my head like, yeah, there probably were a lot of people that were pressed into that life that just weren't about it. And it would make sense that they would just, you know, uh, 
they might they might be sympathizers once they are really kind of have a gun to their head about whether or not they're going to be responsible for any young person's life. So I guess nothing about it rang false. I guess it was just an interesting question that I had seen thrown out a lot there. Is like, if you are going to like really take the time to try and develop one more of these Nazi soldiers, should it be the one that like is used to make a point that like, hey, some Nazis were good, or is it a better space? Uh, is it a better use of your space in your movie to be like, actually, no, here's a reminder about how bad the Nazis are. And I, I don't know if I have like a perfect answer to that question, but I, I can't disagree with someone that thought, hey, maybe there should have been a little bit more time devoted to just like bad Nazis as opposed to a good Nazi. And I can't quibble too strongly with anyone that has that point of view. But at the same time, like, I, I don't think there was anything inherently wrong with writing the Sam Rockwell character as they do. Uh, you, you got, I mean, Rebel Wilson is not a soldier in the movie, but she's pretty. I mean, she says some messed up stuff. She's pretty, you know, um, gung ho Nazi. But she's just doing her Rebel Wilson, Wilson thing, where it just it almost feels yeah. too cartoony to really uh, take fair. too seriously. Even if, again, you're not taking a lot of things yeah. that seriously in this movie. And, and then, you, and then you've got Stephen Merchant who plays, you know, the Gestapo, um, who does a pretty good job of that. So, like we were talking about earlier, like I said, I, I don't know if we really need. I can see what you're saying that you know would it have hurt? Probably not. But do you? I mean, do you? And we all kind of know the not. We all hopefully no, the Nazis were pretty bad. Right. So two points I want to make about that. So the first one is um, a lot of times when I see, when I've seen that argument about the Sam Rockwell character, I think it's important to remember he still dies. Like he doesn't get away scot-free. He's still punished for um, the crimes he committed during the war. Um, so I don't think it's uh, accurate to say that the movie just says, oh, you did that one good deed and now you basically get to go home. And the other thing is the Rebel Wilson character I thought there was a particularly despicable scene, actually, where um, she uh, basically keeps handing weapons to those kids and sends them off running and tells them, come on, you have to shoot as many of the Russians, as many of the allies as possible. Um, that's your she, responsibility. She, so, she, pulls, she pulls the pin on a grenade and says, go yeah. give that American a hug. Yeah. It, I forgot that that was the exact rubbish, but that scene actually really uh, struck a chord with me because it just demonstrates that those kids were really just another just uh, cock in the system, um, that they didn't really care about the kids as people. Yeah. They just cared about them to keep um, fighting the fight for Germany until the bitter end. And I think that's really just a very depressing point. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that scene because that is an example of like maybe a darker, more biting type of comedy that you know maybe could have permeated the movie more. But at the same time, I've, I, I, it almost works more in small doses for me where it's like, oh, my God. Like, this is terrible, and I feel awful that I'm laughing, but, you know, I, I, unfortunately, this doesn't feel too far from something that might have happened also. Um, yeah. yeah, guys, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I, uh, I wanted to mention. We, we, we did talk about a lot of the performances already, and uh, was there, were, there, were there any, Fred, were there any other uh, technical aspects of this movie that you wanted to shout out or a- anything else we forgot to mention? I mean, I do think it looked pretty good. I thought it chose its location very well. Um, definitely a, a very nice-looking German town. Definitely uh, reminded me a lot of home, which is a very strange way to phrase it in a movie like that. Um, Did you say home? Really, yeah, like home, as, as in Germany, like where I'm from. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, like, is uh, I forgot, is the part that you're originally from like a, a similarly sized town, or uh, or what you imagine that size of that town to be like in there? Yeah, or just, I mean, or just quaint looking. Not necessarily where I live, but there are still towns in Germany to this day that actually look very similar to that, um, especially some of the more historical cities up north. Um, so it was very interesting to see a movie play out in a place like that as opposed to one of those major German cities like Berlin or Munich uh, that are usually depicted in movies like that. So I thought Taika Waititi did a good job uh, sort of uh, giving you a sense of how the war affected um, populations in smaller uh more rural areas of germany yeah i will say it's a it is cool to see it not depicted as just like a total like war-torn wasteland or something like that like maybe some world war ii movies or uh just to kind of depict their towns or anything like that because you know it's not germany but one thing i remember from when i went on like a trip to do tour like some holocaust camps with my family and while this isn't showing a or concentration camps with my family and while this isn't showing concentration camps you know if you've ever been to auschwitz like the most glaring part about it is that it just seems like a quaint village you know like there are parts of it that of germany where like horrible things were going on and horrible people are in control where they're in germany or other parts of just not nazi occupied europe where it's like yeah it actually might not seem that bad from the outside or you know if you spent time in munich and you see like dachau it's like it's almost glaring like how dachau really isn't that far from like the heart of munich 
or something like that. You know, you can have some pretty terrible stuff going on not far from just like a totally normal looking place. And I thought that I'm glad you mentioned that because that is, I guess, kind of one thing the movie gets right by just showing this is like a, a, a fairly normal looking village from the from the outside for most of it. Adam, anything else that you wanted to mention before we sign off? Uh, we really didn't talk about, uh, you know, Taika Watiti's actual like performance as Hitler. Um, just because, I mean, we talked about mention it in passing, like, and that it's there, but I just thought it was really interesting. Something I noticed also from from going through the, th- uh, the main discussion thread on Reddit was like, kind of how like how Hitler, the imaginary version of Hitler, was almost like a stand-in for I don't know if you want to say a stand-in for for JoJo's father, or like an amalgamation of like not just like what he's learned and in, indoctrinated, but also like just kind of like a um, a version of his mom. Like constantly encouraging him, trying to get him to not just like do the, like do the quote you know the, the right thing in air quotes the Nazi thing, but also just like to be himself and like you know push him to like to, to be more in this case positive. Not like I said, you know the Nazi part's obviously bad, but like trying to get him to like be more outgoing and do more things a lot of the time. And um, I didn't really notice it when I was watching it, but I saw something on Reddit where it was like, oh, he was using a lot of the same verbiage, a lot of the same terms about, you know, being outgoing that his mom would use. So I thought maybe, okay, you know, this is a character that's all in JoJo's head. You know, why wouldn't, if you're a 10-year-old boy who's grown up idolizing the Nazis and Adolf Hitler, why wouldn't Adolf Hitler be an encouraging person, an inspiration, you know, get you to do what, you know, be the best you you can be, uh, even if that best you in this case is a Nazi. Which is, which is part of the German propaganda, actually, that Hitler is essentially the father of all the children in the country and that he is someone you can rely on and that he is someone you need to look up to. And he was basically the model father you want to grow up to be. That was very much part of the German indoctrination. And I thought it was an interesting visual thought experiment almost of what that would look like if a boy could see a version of Hitler talking to him about... Uh, Becoming that perfect German, essentially. Oh, and, and speaking of fathers, one thing, the one tiny, tiny, tiny complaint I kind of have is that, like, they mention, like, JoJo's father that he's, you know, the first mention we have is that, you know, his father's a deserter. And then, you know, we hear that, okay, maybe he's fighting in Italy or something. Um, and that maybe he's doing something vaguely related to the resistance or something. But without really, I mean, they never really expand on it. They don't tell, you know, they don't ever say that, yeah. He's doing, you know, he's resisting the Nazi regime or that he is a deserter. Um, so I feel like it, it would just be almost, with, you know, without, they didn't really have to get that far into it. They could have just, you know, said he died at the front or something um, without, you know, making it almost kind of a MacGuffin. Uh, they didn't, I wouldn't say they went far enough into it to make it like, you know, make it a red herring or something. But it was kind of in there. They kind of like splashed it in and then never resolved it really, at least as far as I could tell. Yeah, I I I don't disagree with that. They could have delved into just a little bit more about what it meant to not have that father figure there. But I, again, like we, like you guys just mentioned, I get part of that. I guess is just him, uh, obviously, kind of filling that void with a lot of the teachings of Adolf Hitler. And I I, I did like Taika's presence, and I, I I'm a bit of a sucker for. Uh, I, I know some of the critics were just kind of tired of it by the end, but I'm a bit of a sucker for just like a character like that, just uh, using the very anachronistic language where he's just like speaking and all of a sudden like he'll go in and out of using like modern slang terms or something like that. And I'm like, I, I'm a sucker. I, that's like an easy, I'm an easy mark for that kind of humor and I'm laughing <laughs> at it. And I, and I thought it was pretty funny, but at the same time, you know, at the end they, they don't let you forget that like, Oh yeah, Hitler's actually a bad guy. I mean, I guess it's an obligatory turn that character has to make before Jojo fully turns on him. But at the same time, I think it's smart that he's not just like fun, hip, funny goofy hitler the whole time either I, I at least they got to that point but uh but yeah i guys i think we uh i think we pretty well covered it it'll be uh interesting to see just how the movie shakes out with all the awards and everything like that you know i, I think i might be an overall bigger fan of hunt for the Wilder people as a movie but like i'd be perfectly fine if this is like where tyke gets some love in some of the awards categories because as i say often like i'm not one of those people that i'm one of those people that's fully capable of just pretending someone's oscar nomination is for the thing that they most deserve it for so I'm unless it's like very egregious and I don't that wouldn't be the case here so I it'll be really we'll probably check in on this movie later in the award season and see how it's doing
doing, but I expect it to do pretty well. And I think we all recommend that people go see it. So, uh, Fred, before we sign off, anything you want to plug? Letterboxd, other social media, anything like that? Yep, please do follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, I'll be reviewing lots of movies throughout Oscar season. Um, it's Fred Kolb, F-R-E-D-K-O-L-B. Adam, anything else you want to plug? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at A.B. Lichtenstein, where I primarily talk about high school sports from my job, but I also just like to talk about other things that I like, too. There we go. And as usual, I'm at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I on Twitter. My letterbox is the same thing. The podcast Twitter is Rewind Movie Pod, and the Twitter is the Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com if you want to give us any feedback. Uh, coming up next, I guess we'll have a podcast on uh maybe one on charlie's angels and one on ford versus ferrari because those are the things coming out this weekend and i I don't know when i'm going to be getting the other independent foreign things that are coming our way so it's harder to predict that but i'm sure we'll have something on those two new releases though i actually haven't figured out who i'm going to be talking about them with or if i don't even know if charlie's angels is going to be worth talking about but i'm going to see it because you know I see everything, and we contain multitudes here on The Rewind. So uh, stay tuned for that. Thanks again to Adam and Fred for joining me, and we'll see you next time.